but that was it. That's the thing that stands out to me is there's nobody special. There really isn't out there. We want to hold up everybody and go, oh my gosh, they are genius. They are brilliant. They have something in them that nobody else does. I don't believe it. I haven't seen that in anybody. You talked to me about anybody I've interviewed and I found out uh, enough about them to know they're not. They just daily do these things and it's like planting the seeds. If you plant enough seeds, you're going to get good fruit out of it. That's what's probably the most motivating thing to me when it comes down to it, thinking, man, I, there's, I'm not looking for some superhero power to fall into a chemical vat and come out and I can do X, Y, Z. The chemical vat is just those daily habits. It's not sexy. It's not real exciting. It's just the daily plodding along, but it's just irrefutable. Hi, my name is Evan Herman, and I'm documenting my journey on becoming the best version of myself while learning how to be an entrepreneur and developing the successful habits that are necessary to get and keep me there. If you want to come alongside of me and make this journey together, we'll be listening and learning from some of the world's greatest mentors in the areas that matter most, faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. So join me on the Whole Person Podcast. I just wanted you guys to know that I love being the host of the Whole Person Podcast. That being said, I wanted you to know where the money comes from for the show. The truth is, we actually don't make money on the podcast just yet. And so as of right now, the way that the podcast gets funded is because through my real estate career, I pay to produce and create the Whole Person Podcast. Now, eventually... I would like the show to be self-sustaining, but until then, I am okay with producing the financial revenue in order for the show to work because, well, this is my baby. So that being said, if you know of anyone that is looking to buy or sell a home within the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, I'd be more than happy to talk with them and see how I can help them do that. And if by chance you live outside the area and you or someone that you know is looking to buy or sell a home... I would love to even talk with them. And the reason why is because I can help connect them with the right real estate agent and even those agents pay referral fees. And by doing these things, you will actually help me to pay for the production of the Whole Person Podcast. And I just want to say thank you for that. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. Okay. Today we have one of my favorite people on the show Kevin Miller is the CEO of Aware Broadcasting, which currently produces two podcasts, The Zig Ziglar Show, which he hosts, and just eclipsed over 40 million downloads, and The True Life Show that he hosts with Randy James, MD and a functional medical expert. Kevin is a partner in a functional medicine practice in Colorado, and he has recently launched the truelifeprotect.com, which is a medical cost sharing service that is revolutionizing alternative to health insurance. All endeavors are based on helping people make healthier life decisions that enable them to be fully functioning to achieve what they feel called to in life. Kevin lives up in the high Rocky Mountains in an oversized straw bale house with his wife of 26 years and revolving door of his nine children and two more that call him grandpa. He works occasionally between caring and cooking for his family and ravaging trails on his amazing mountain bike. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you? I am well. It's funny to hear some of that, but uh, but it's actually true, so we'll go with it. <laughs> well, Kevin, you know, I've been following the, the Ziggler podcast for four or five-ish years, and, you know... I feel like I am here today podcasting because of your influence and Ziggler's influence in my life. So I just want to start off and say thank you for that. Well, goodness, man, that is incredibly honoring and uh, yeah, confirming for the own, my, my own work. And yeah, if I went down the list of people that I gave credit to for where I am today and what I am doing today, it would be significant. It reminds me of Zig Ziglar, his wall of fame, the people that he says, these are people who had influence on my life. But my gosh, man, I'm, I'm incredibly humbled and, and uh, grateful that you would say that. Well, man, it's, it's, it's all the truth. So, well, I just, I want to get into your story. Who is Kevin Miller? What, what has decided in your life 
that really prompted you to live a healthy life in many areas? I, I was an, I was a kid who likes, you know, did sports. I always pursued that. I don't know why it was not my parents, uh, pursuit at all, but I did, maybe it was just cause it was the norm in public school, whatever pursued. And I did the ball sports, football, baseball, basketball, whatever ended up into bike racing, BMX, and then, um, cycling and became a, a pro cyclist. So health was obviously was a part of the job in that sense, and probably a part of the culture, I, I guess. So I've got a good reason for why I ended up in that direction. But as I was always drawn to personal development, and that's what I grew up in, my dad, Dan Miller, that, that you know, uh, being a, a personal development you know, professional all his life, I lived within that. And there's so many areas in that. Why did I gravitate towards a passion slash burden for people's health amidst that? I do not know. I'm going to chalk that up to that's what God, you know, it's the desire he put on my heart for whatever reason, because there's other very important areas that I don't put focus on, like finance. Well, you, you know, you need to do that and, and, and so many different areas, but it was health and wellness. And it was this, I just realized this burden I had for people who had big desires, big goals. They were gifted, talented people. And I saw so many of them being minimized because of issues with their health. Uh, and it really came to fruition about, oh gosh, seven, eight years ago, I was running a, running a company called Free Agent Academy, where we help people who are in traditional employment who wanted to pursue self-employment. They, we had, I had a membership, paid membership site. They'd come over there and we would find coming up with an idea that they were excited about, a, a, a service that they could offer, product, whatever. So a business idea that was relevant to them and relevant to the marketplace, not to make that super easy and minimize that, but we could do that. And we could put a plan together for them to go out and offer this. And yet so often in this, amongst my members, it would come where the, the weeks go by, the months go by, and they really haven't taken the steps to, to, to take action here. And why? And it was a consistent, often a consistent response of, man, after the day, after the job and the family, I just don't have the energy. Even on the weekends, I don't, I, I just can't get out of me. And I saw other successful entrepreneurs and realized most of them are, their output was higher uh, and their focus on their physical wellness so that they had the extra energy to push more uh, was such a massive ingredient. And so I brought that into the business of self-employment focus, this health focus became such a predominant thing. And so, you know, I saw a tangible need for it, but it also just, I don't know why I, that was my muse. That was my focus. And even today, that's the thing that, uh, again, it's a passion, but it also burdens me for people. And so I want to bolster their health and wellness so that, as you said in my bio, uh, so that they can go do the things that they really care about. So it's just a vehicle. It's a means to an end. Right. You know, as you're talking, one of the things that I've learned in my own journey, there are a lot of times that I, I have good intention about something, but I forget or slack off. And, and fitness has been one of those things in my life where I want to be healthy. I have good intentions. But how does someone like myself go from having good intentions to being intentional? Well, if I could answer that question perfectly, I would be the wealthiest man on the planet. Because you're, you're, you're talking, in all truth, man, you're talking about motivation. And I don't know because I can take that to areas in my life. So if I looked at the areas, well, like on the Ziggler Wheel of Life, where we look at all the, the areas of success from relationships to physical to mental to spiritual to yada, yada, uh, the financial spoke. I just did a show on this. The financial spoke, that's been my Achilles heel. I don't, I, it's just, I've got my own baggage there. I don't really care about that side. I don't have a good financially or, or even numbers mind. Um, and that's a weak point. I have a lot of intention there that I don't make happen. Actually, that's a great segue into an, an answer. That, that's been an area that's been really difficult for me. I have to, I pay for help. I, I've got, even when I couldn't afford it, man, I paid for a CPA, paid for a bookkeeper. Otherwise, I'm going to end up in jail for, you know, not paying my taxes or something because I just, it's just such a hard area for me. I hate that area. So I have to, I have to buy help. Um, 
or I'd say, you know, delegate that help. And uh, matter of fact, I just did a show, one of the True Life shows. We recorded it before this. And I talked about Ruth Sukup. She's an author. She wrote the book, Do It Scared. I interviewed her recently. She knows the value of fitness, physical fitness for her life. And she says, after so many years of pursuing it, she still hates it. And she's, that was an admission. She's like, I, I hate it. I just do not. I'm not one of those people who started doing it. And it ultimately came to a point of saying, man, I finally like it. You know, I finally get joy up. She says, I never have. I don't know if I ever will, but I know I need it. So in her case, and this isn't about you know, paying for help, but she does that. She has a personal trainer who shows up at her house or something like, you know, or she has to show up and meet and pays. And that's what does it for her. So, I mean, you're talking about motivation. Why am I, why do I struggle with motivation on the finance side? I don't know. I don't struggle with it on the fitness side. I, I enjoy that. I don't know, man, to each his own. So how do you do that if you're struggling with it? Um, you know, we can go through ideas. That is one is, you know, make an investment buy the gym membership. And then you feel guilty to your wife for not going and you're spending it. You know, right. what is that? What is that? We see a lot of people, if you invest in something, sometimes that'll put it there. Mine, Evan, in a lot of areas though, you know, even, even here, even in the fitness thing, I say, I enjoy it. I don't enjoy all of it. One of the primary motivators I have, and, and that would be the, my answer. I don't know, man. You got to find your motivator. So, but I, I, I actually think you did answer it quite well. Okay. You said that when it came to accounting, you paid for it. Yeah. About last fall around this time, I paid for a personal trainer. I had no business doing that financially at that time in my life, but yeah. I got so sick of where I was. I dropped like. It was a lot. I think it was like fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars. Just wrote one check wow. and said, "Here you go." I paid for it in advance. That way, I have to use this. That's brilliant. And I still have two left. I haven't like touched it in months, but I did really, really well on my health journey. I started losing weight, and then. Um, as our audience knows, I sustained a knee injury and mm. then literally since that, I've just fallen off the bandwagon, stopped eating healthy, kind of went into remorse, you know, self-pity, loathing and, and, you know, as Ryan Dobson would say, I eat sugar, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I yeah. referenced that cause you know who he is and he was on a podcast earlier. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but so l- let me ask you this, man. The process of making a life and health change can be extremely overwhelming Sure. to the point that a lot of people hold back. How do I simply, or how do I simplify the process in making that life change? Well, personal development world, there's lots of answers to that. And you know, taking baby steps is a, is a good one, but well, I end up coming back to, and I recently interviewed Hal Elrod, who's you know the, the phenomenon for the Miracle Morning, and you know the concept that we come back to, well, even in my habit show, is have saying this is what my day is going to be. This is what my day is going to consist of. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. I mean, we're all going to wake up and we're all pretty much every one of us is going to at some point, you know, we brush our teeth. That's just, that's, that's a, who I am. That's who Evan is. That's who Kevin is. We brush our teeth. We take a shower. We uh, do X, Y, Z with our kids at night. We read a bedtime story to them. We, do, we have this reg, a routine is what my a past assistant ha- gave to me one time because she knows I don't like confines. So I don't like things that I have to, I don't like structure and schedule. I like to be spontaneous, but she said, Kevin, I've got to, it was actually in regards to podcasting because I was so sporadic with when I did it. So we've got to get you on a consistent routine. She said, do you ever miss brushing your teeth? I said, no. Do you ever miss your coffee? No way, man. She says, those are your routines, right? Yeah, we just need you to have a routine of when you post these podcasts. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. But of saying, this is my daily routine and putting this thing in there. There's a block of time, whether it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour or whatever, of this is when I exercise and just stating that fact, putting it in there and not putting anything else, you know, committing to that schedule. I, I think that is a big piece of it, uh, you know, aside from, you know, motivation uh, in general, but also realizing the power of inertia. 
And that is one, boy, again, going back to my work with people, my membership group, that so often people would get excited, they would start something, and then they would lose momentum. Something would happen. In your case, it was an injury. And coming off that, after all this work to progress, and then they, boom, they fall back. And with fitness, we can lose it so quick. That's a big motivator too, to knowing it is an ongoing cumulative effect. And if we fall off the wagon, which people do, uh, it's, it's even more overwhelming. And again, looking back and going, I am the kind of person and this is what I do. Uh, and we decide that up front. easier said than done, but it is so powerful. It kind of goes back to the, the goals terminology, which it's not my favorite term personally, even is, is goals, which is blasphemous coming from the Ziegler crowd. But, um, but of saying, this is the kind of guy I am, this is who I'm going to be for me first for my wife, for my kids. And I'm the kind of guy that gets up and I had to decide this. I get up and I get into my Bible first thing. That's, some, that's something that I want to be. That's a goal for me. I want to be the kind of guy who is marinating in, devoting to uh, that spiritual walk. And so that's what I do in the mornings. And my, my family knows that. That's when I get up. They know that that's why I go to bed at a certain time. So I'm going to get up to be that kind of guy. They know that then I'm going to you know, greet the family uh, and, and do X, Y, Z in the morning, depending on the day. They know I'm going to you know, exercise. I know I'm going to. And I don't have anything else scheduled in that time. If not, what am I going to do? Stand around? I mean, I've, I've blocked that out intentionally ahead of time. Uh, it kind of goes to, man, a great analogy for this is um, Benjamin Hardy, uh, who wrote the book, uh, Willpower Doesn't Work. And he basically says, if we get up saying, I'm going to use my willpower and discipline to make myself do these things every day, ultimately, it's, it's not going to pan out generally, as opposed to creating a lifestyle and an environment and a circumstance, it just behooves that this is going to happen. And so if this is, you know, if this is when you do, you've got your day scheduled out, which I don't like schedule, but I still you got it scheduled out. That's when you do it. And otherwise you're not in, in, you know, in accountability. You need, so you tell your wife that this is when I do this and you schedule your day around that. And uh, you don't schedule other things. That's a big one that I see helps a lot of people when they just make the decision that this is what I am going to do. I'm going to set aside the time and it comes up and they generally will fulfill it other than if it's, you know, happenstance. Hmm. So as you're sharing this, I'm looking at my life and the things that I want to be different. You know, even as a Christian, more recently in the last five or six months, I've struggled with reading consistently in the Bible. I've struggled with the health. I've struggled in many different areas. And you know, a lot of life circumstances happened as well. And I want to get back into the swing of things. I want to get back into the be, do, have, because I feel like I, you know, life beat the hell out of me mm. in a sense. And now I'm licking my wounds and trying to recover. So when someone's in the process of recovering, how do they get back into a mental state of, okay, while this did happen, it's not who I am. It's not my identity these things define me. Gosh, you're talking about a term that I keep getting fed over and over and we keep hearing it. And I don't want, I hope it's not a fad word, but of resilience and that we as a culture are, have gotten worse in, in resilience and coming back from that fall kind of, you know, it's an old cliche. It's not whether you fall or not, you're going to fall. It's whether you get back up or or not. And man, we don't have great examples of, of a culture in that we're, we're more geared to and confirmed in justifying, you know, X, Y, Z happening. Of course you're not doing whatever and, and kind of trying to comfort that as opposed to healthfully motivating, you know, to come back, come back from that. Okay. That happened, but you know, come back into, come back into where you want to be. I mean, again, we're talking, we so often come back to motivation and, and I get it. Motivation is so hard. I, I live in this world. I've been billed as, you know, okay, so you're a motivational speaker, a motivational guy. I guess I don't feel like an expert <laughs> in it because I get figuring out why are some people motivated, some people not. Why is anybody motivated in one area and not motivated in another? And I don't believe you can show me anybody. I don't care how much of a rock star, how successful they are uh, in one area where would say, there, man, they got motivation down. I'll find an area 
in them. It exists. They, they are not motivated and they need to be. And why aren't they? And they don't know. And we can't always find out. You got to figure that out. For you, Evan, or not for you. I mean, for us. Hey, it can be for me. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I'm going to say it for me. I'm going to say it for me. I'll tell you the one that... Uh, it's a bad, I don't like this word, but it's just, it's popped in my, it haunts me. It really does. A lot of my motivation is, this sounds bad too. It's almost fear-based, but I don't know. It's consequence. It's bad consequence based. Meaning today, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But when I look forward and go, who do I want to be in a month? Who do I want to be in six months? Who do I want to be a year? And I'm going to be the culmination of what I do or I don't do. And if I don't do X, Y, Z, and I come forward here, man, nothing is going to change. My marriage is going to stink. My faith is going to stink. I'm not going to have the ability to walk out or to embody the fruits of the spirit because I'm going to be bereft at this point. So you come back like to the physical fitness and I look at my kids and think, do I want to be at a point to where I can't keep up with my kids to go on a simple hike or to help them build a house or fix a car or all these things. I, I sometimes think that my main motivation is the fear of what I won't be able to do out here if I don't do X, Y, Z here. I've got to keep that inertia going. And that can also be a recipe for my own stress and feeling imprisoned in that. And, and I do. I, you know what? No, I'll raise my hand. I, fall, I can fall into that mode. And I've had my wife sometimes say, oh my gosh, Kevin, can you take a day off? And that you can get into addiction and get into some, um, some unhealthy. But I do. I have a a healthy, maybe bordering on unhealthy fear of if, if I don't do X, Y, Z, go back to finances. If I don't have somebody, this, this happened for years of never keeping track, always good intent, but never doing the bookkeeping. Then the end of the year comes taxes are due. I've done nothing to keep track of things. I'm self-employed. I've got all these things. It's a train wreck. And either, and I, I literally don't have the ability I, that I, I don't believe I do. I've never seen a testimony to figuring it out. And so I end up paying double, triple to somebody. And there's been plenty of times when I could not afford it, but I have no choice. I've got to pay to have them go figure the train wreck out uh, to bring me back. That that's even, I'm even more fearful of my health and wellness and my mental capabilities to keep things rolling and pay the mortgage and whatever. So I'm, I'm looking and going, if I don't do X, Y, Z, I'm going to be bereft. And I've had so many experiences personally and with other people of seeing the things that they are able to do and weather the, the crisis that they're able to weather and look back and see it's because of their daily deposits and X, Y, Z. So I look forward and go, man, if, if this happens to me, I, I have no reason to believe that at some point I, with the amount of kids I have that I won't lose one. How am I going to deal with that? I mean, I, I, I literally, I can take that in and, and conceptualize that and bring myself to tears. Think, how am I going to deal with that? And I know people who have had that happen and it has destroyed their lives. I know a couple right here in town who that happened with, and we walked with them as, as, their, as their child died, and they are stronger today. It's, it's unprecedented. And then your biblical peace beyond understanding, but it's because they were daily putting those deposits in. I have got to be that guy or I'm going to get wrecked over here and not have that resilience that again so it's a it's an it's a it can sound like oh my gosh he's disciplined or he's mature and thinking out here i, I think i'm just scared so i'm going to break this down into banking terms based <laughs> off of what you said you know when life takes a heavy withdrawal from us which it will which it will if we haven't been depositing into ourselves the the energy, the the health, the finances, the the emotional um, intelligence needed. If we're not doing these small, consistent deposits, when that withdrawal comes, either we're going to have the money in the bank or it's going to bounce. Perfectly said, absolutely. And I get, I do get the privilege. So you're talking to me right now. So this studio uh, that I'm in, my my office is in a. Uh, a medical practice, a functional medicine uh, medical practice. But my partner, he's a doctor, and I get to see and have for four, maybe going on five years now. People come in, and I, I helped create the the practice model that we're in. So I sold people, and I got those calls. So for years, I was on the receiving end of these phone calls from people who are coming in here to pay a lot of money. A lot of times, they don't have the money. It's kind of like going to the Mayo Clinic. They're coming here uh, because they have reached the point in their health where they are at an end and they're, or they're scared. You know, it's, it's the, the, the 45 year old mom 
and she's got kids. She's been pouring out for her family and she is at the end of her rope. She's now hardly able to get out of bed. She's sleeping for 14 hours and still waking up with no uh, energy. She's got brain fog. I mean, she is going downhill and she knows going to traditional medicine is, uh, is not going to offer anything but a drug for the symptoms. She is saying, I have got to make a change. So I get to see these people and I see the culmination of not tending to the physical wellness. So I, I get carte blanche. I get the best ticket in the house for motivation of seeing, oh my gosh, Kevin, you wake up in the morning, you take care of yourself. You're going to end up that. How are you going to serve your kids? I mean, I'm the sole breadwinner for my family. I'm self-employed. And uh, well, you know, thank goodness I, I, have, I have life insurance policies. Outside of that though, if I'm gone and I'm the one that keeps the train rolling in this, you know, in that aspect of life, I can't afford not to. Aside from also seeing the people we're in a culture now where we are seeing more and more uh, past middle age, people who now have this huge, I'm going to call it a burden, sounds bad, but it is burden on their life, taking care of their elderly, infirm parents. I don't want to do that to my kids. I want to be there able to help my kids. I mean, my kids, you know, when they're at the age when they need the most help, they're having kids, they're having careers. I want to be helping them, not having them have to put out money, time, uh, stress because I am infirm. And I have a lot to do with that. Now I can get hit by a car and, you know, end up whatever. I mean, I, I, it's not a guarantee, but I'm going to do what's the best thing I can do to help them. So I mean, you're hearing my motivations again, it's not going to be the same for everything, but I think there are some pillars that we should all take responsibility for. So one of my motivators came from a show that you did. I don't know how, how long ago, but you were sharing a story of a guy who decided to get fit because he knew of a guy whose house caught on fire and he couldn't carry all of his family members out. He had to pick and choose. You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And I heard that and it, it, it hurt. Like just putting myself in the position of having to save my entire family and not being able to do it. You're, gosh, I forgot about, you're totally right. And I do, we're, again, we're in such a sheltered society where we so seldom have a need like that from a physical aspect. But I do look at myself as a human. I should look at myself as human. I am, however, a guy and I have my own ego and whatever associated with that. And I feel like I should be able to care for my family if, well, where I live, there's, you know, you could say that there's a bear attack, if there's a whatever, I should be <laughs> do that. And so I do. Yeah, man, that's a literal one for me, though. I can take that to times in my life where I felt the same thing. Well, guilt of financially, if X, Y, Z happened, man, I do not have the resources. And I've, I've had more times than I should have of being in that arena and feeling uh, the guilt and the shame and, and the motive of, man, can I do that? I mean, I've got older kids who I want to help them be able to do what they are doing. Do I have the financial resources to do that. So I think the physical one is one that's taking a back seat. How do you for sure? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, continue on that road because that's, I mean, that's a boat that I'm currently in, man. I mean, we've had six major financial life tragedies, tragedy things happen to my family in six months, one a month for six months. And I'm like, oh dear God, what do I do? You know, because I'm in an industry where one month I can make money and one one month, you know, I can plan to make money and then a deal break. Yeah. So how do you how do you manage all that for yourself? Because here's the thing, you you have more business interests than most people I know. So how do you keep the faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun? How do you keep that all balanced and with the financial stress and pressure of it all? I will tell you, I was given a great foundation. I was given a great foundation. That'd be like somebody who's, uh, you know, an Olympian. And you said, how did you, you know, come to this? And they said, man, my dad was an Olympian. That's it's what I knew. It was my, it was my context that I never questioned not being an Olympian. They got that handed. I got that stuff handed to me on a silver platter. I grew up in an entrepreneurial home where I saw my, my parents, but you know, my dad pursue different things that he believed in that he was interested in. And I saw the highs and the lows and I saw the high finances. It it was kind of a joke. We joke about it one year. They liked Cadillacs way back when dad, dad's a car guy. And one year, man, we're driving the Cadillac, um, 
it wasn't the Seville. What was it? I can't remember the Cadillac, whatever uh, we're driving that. And the next year, man, driving some jalopy that you're scared to have your parents drop you off at school at. And I saw the ups and downs financially. And I saw not that there wasn't stress. I saw that, but the home life never changed. At the end of the day, dad was able and mom, they were able to, I don't know. I don't know if they'd say they compartmentalize. I think I really think they had faith. They really did. I mean, dad uh, was both of them constantly going back to Ziegler. You know, you can change who you are and where you are by what you put in your mind. They kept a consistent flow of, of, of faith messages, of positive messages going in, and they believed. And so the home life didn't change. We never, we always had food on the tail, table. We may have had a hard time buying clothes for school some years or something like that, but uh, there was still joy. There was still peace. He was able to put it aside, uh, I think, even when it was really hard. And so I really got the faith of that and the um, expectation that things will work out. I mean, you got to do your part of it, you know, will work out. I got that handed to me. So I got to see, and even the the separation of business, man, he's self-employed, but you got to leave it back home easier back then granted, because he didn't have a computer at home. They didn't exist, you know? So when he left the office, he left the office for the most part. So that was good. And we have to fight that ability to engage constantly now, but I got to see it, um, helps. But Evan, I also been, I, it's amazing how, even growing up with that, how many things I did poorly. I thought I would be an exception, man, that I could, because I came from all that, I could do X, Y, Z. I didn't. I hurt our finances so badly, was so upside down. And, uh, and you know, today I have a lot, I have more than I should because I just want to do more things and I have to really work with my time management. Um but I, a lot of it, yeah. You know, so I got, I got, again, I got handed to me, I got the example handed to me. Um, and then it's all I've ever done. And I have uh, found out of necessity ways where I've got to, you know, manage and balance it. But some of it is a day to day. I'm not, you know, I, I, as you know, I interview all these personal development uh, experts and nobody's perfect. And, and I, but I look at a lot of stuff and I, there's so much knowledge that I know that I don't do well. Uh, <laughs> And, and I, it keeps me humble uh, for sure. And I, you know, I, I maximize my strengths. I try to minimize my weaknesses. I do get more help now than I used to. And some of that is hard because I was a lot of times places like you talked about, right, man, I couldn't afford the help, but I've, even back then I found times when I could barter for things. Um, and, uh, I, a, a lot of it's just commitment. I was just committed. And again, what, what am I going to do the other, on the other side? Uh, I, I didn't give myself an out, which is good and bad sometimes, I think. But uh, usually I put myself, I didn't give myself an out. Again, looking forward to the future, I'm a really, really bad employee. Um, and it, yeah, and that's, that's good and bad. There's a lot of times my wife wishes that had not been the case. Right. But I really struggle with that. And in, in, in recognizing that, it's not a platform where I stand on and say self-employment is a holy grail. I have a hard time conforming. I have a hard time collaborating. And some of that I need to be better at. Some, though, I, I realize I, I do well sitting there and creating something and writing. I love a blank piece of paper. I love to, I, I need to, to be able to, you know, exert my creativity and, and whatnot uh, if I'm going to be in my best place. And so looking at that and going, I've got to make this happen. And I've been having all the kids. I was using a place where I had to. And you know, I just wrote about this. Where did I write about it? No, I didn't. I'm about to talk about it in in an interview I'm doing later this afternoon with somebody who knows my dad well and it's testifying to him. One thing that I saw there too, that was again, a great benefit I don't recall, I, I, I had to tell my dad this because I never conceptualized it until yesterday when I was writing. I never saw him, I've never known him to make an excuse, ever. So even in the worst of, of times, financially, as I grew up, and he lost everything at one point, totally lost everything. There was a year, it was my sophomore year in high school, time to get clothes for school, went shopping with my mom at the mall, but I bought them. They didn't have the money. Didn't have a lot of, they didn't have a lot of shame about that. And, you know, of course now he's at a place that few people will ever reach as far as, as, as wealth and fulfillment and whatever. Uh, but he paid his dues, uh, but he never made an excuse. He never put blame on somebody else. He always took full responsibility. And the next day he got up and did whatever he had to do to make it 
happen. I say, uh, I say whatever he had to do, except he never did take a job. Uh, it was always for himself. Cause again, he's a terrible employee. That's but, funny. You know, if that would have been the answer, I think he knew he could make more money on his own, but he never made an excuse, man. Again, I didn't conceive that till yesterday. And it's uh, I'll be pondering that for a while. Uh, I think I probably have more than he had, but he did what he had to do. Hmm. Well, man, you kind of hinted at it. You know, you are the host of the Ziggler show. You've had 40 million downloads. It's one of the most successful podcasts out there. And you have had the opportunity to interview a lot of amazing people. In doing that, what are some of the biggest life lessons that you have learned or seen from your guests? First thing that comes to mind when you ask that, Evan, it's a great question, is... And it's really why I started doing the habits show. So as you know, I used to do just the the interviews in essence or the conversations I like to, I'd rather call them, but I used to just do that. Uh, but then Ziggler, Zig Ziggler was so big on the wheel of life. And, and if folks, you don't, you can look up, you can type in Ziggler wheel of life and find pictures of it online, but it goes through seven spokes. And he's saying in his experience personally, and, and in him, uh, being in you know big circles with people uh, who are pursuing success to have true success, you need to have them in all these areas. If you don't, it's like a wheel and you've got a flat spot and you're going to thump along. So that would be me going through life. I'd say financially, I've often had a a flat spot there and I'm thumping along and man, so many great things and there's that thump and I've got to address that if I want to really have uh, full success in my life. So him talking about that and as I was talking with all these hugely successful people, rock stars, right? You know, from Seth Godin to Dave Ramsey and, you know, Mike Hyatt and yada, yada, and looking at them and realizing, well, and I also, again, through my childhood, I got to see a lot of these people behind the scenes and now I've gotten to more and I get to talk with them face to face and talk with them online and to realize that they are not superhuman. And I think we're in this culture right now. We are, we're enamored with superheroes, literally. I mean, it's every week, it seems like there's a new superhero movie coming out. We all want to have these special abilities. I think we look at successful people and we put them in that category of thinking there's something special about them. We may not even consciously think that, that there's not something special in me, but kind of by proxy, we're thinking about that, that they're where they are because there's something special about them. And I got to see these people and I realized they're not. I got to be in hotel rooms with some of these people and see you know, them in their whitey tighties and they're just re- they're regular people. And I saw, I saw failures in their life and I realized, and that's again, coming back to, your, to answer your, your question, what stands out is that all of these people are regular people. Most of them have come from harder circumstances than I have, than maybe you have. Most of them uh, have. And the reason they are where they are today is back to the habits. They just do the things every day that most people don't do. And the consistency of that, the cumulative effect produces great results. But I'll add one more thing to that too. Man, as I think about it, I almost, I almost should add it to the habits show that the undergirding thing is for some reason they were motivated. And that is the big Holy grail question. Why are some people motivated enough to do X, Y, Z, to go exercise when it's not that fun or to, uh, to, to pursue that relationship or to try that thing or fail that? Why are some people, I don't know. And as many people as I talk to about that, I don't know that there's anybody who says, I know why some people are motivated and, Others are not. And I've got some stark examples of people who have talked about that in their lives. Um, But for some reason, they were motivated and they did these things. But at the core, they are not any smarter. They're not any brighter. They're not any more intelligent. You know, to some degree, Malcolm Gladwell talked about that in the book Outliers. They just put in more time. Of course, he didn't. I don't know if he went into why did they put in more time? What was that motive? But that was it. That's the thing that stands out to me is there's nobody special. There really isn't out there. We want to hold up everybody and go, oh my gosh, they are genius. They are brilliant. They have something in them that nobody else does. I don't believe it. I haven't seen that in anybody. You talked to me about anybody I've interviewed and I found out uh, enough about them to know they're not. They just daily do these things and it's like planting the seeds. If you plant enough seeds, you're going to get good fruit out of it. That's what's probably the most motivating thing to me when it comes down to it, thinking, man, I, there's, I'm not looking for some superhero power to fall into a chemical vat and come out and I can do X, Y, Z. The chemical vat is just those daily habits. It's not sexy. 
It's not real exciting. It's just the daily plotting along, but it's just irrefutable. So there's a wise man that I know that, that created a quote and it's probably one of my favorite quotes. He goes, this is what he said. He goes, the quickest way to success is to exchange a bad habit for a good habit. Yeah. I wonder if you know who that individual is. I I don't know. <laughs> I think I, I think I've heard of that guy. Let's see. What's his ah uh, yeah, Tom Ziggler. Tom yeah, Ziggler. It's and, so basic and and to use that term again, it, it's not sexy, it's not flashy, it's not whatever. But it is, you know, my wife years ago, it was in a health and wellness. It was actually during my free agent academy membership that I talked about. And we were talking about health and wellness and she came up with this idea just from her own experience and she put it out and it became a part of the curriculum that we had in there on health and wellness. She said, instead of thinking about things that you can't do, stop doing, don't eat that, don't drink that, don't whatever, don't just add good things. So whatever your diet is today, just add in uh, an extra three servings of vegetables, just add in another pint of water or whatever, just start, just keep adding in these good things. At some point you're going to push out some of the bad things, uh, and, and, and do that kind of an add in instead of thinking about what I have to cut out. It was really smart. And, and then, you know, years later, here's Tom and he, yeah, he was on stage and candidly was asked that question and just gut reaction came back when they said, what is the fastest way to success? And yeah, replace bad habits with good habits. So if tonight, instead of watching whatever sitcom I, I would watch, uh, read you know, for 30 minutes or however long sitcoms are these days, read uh, a, a personal development book uh, for 30 minutes or play a game with your kid or ask your wife how her day was or whatever. And now it's time for bed. And you don't have time for that thing. It's, it's really smart, really simple, super, super simple. But then when it comes down to that moment, of course, we all know it's not easy. So you're a part of one of the most successful podcasts in the world, which is really cool. How do you stay connected with your audience? Because as this grows, that's something that I strive to do is stay connected. And I, you know, I get to see that a little bit through your Facebook posts and everything, but is there anything outside of that um, content wise that you do? I would love to tell you something that I did. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, the podcast world is such a weird thing. It's a, it is a phenomenon right now, as you know, as far as, far as how much it's growing, how much uh, corporate America is shifting ad dollars to it, and it's becoming this incredible channel. And I think, I think I, I know some of the reasons why. Um, but as that happens, I mean, you're sitting here on a micro. I'm on a microphone by myself, you know, talking to somebody like you on Zoom for most of my. Uh, things I have though become a student of what's working. I, I, I would point to modeling who is being successful out there, who are people listening to, and so the weird thing as a as a top podcaster, I don't listen to podcasts personally. I don't, I, that's not a, a form of intake that I do because I do I I really struggle with auditory input. I want to read it. And so I take up my personal development time and pursuits by reading, but I do go audit the podcasts that are doing well out there. So I go listen to Tim Ferriss. I listen to his intros and his outros. I listen to how he's doing his ads. Uh, and I, and I, I'm, I look at that, but now I can't model it totally because he's a celebrity. And to some degree, he could sit and burp and people are going to listen to it a little bit because they trust him and they want to listen. So some of the things he does, like sometimes an eight minute intro, Joe Rogan does it too. You know, the first eight minutes is all ads. I can't do that. I can't afford that. I'm not that big of a celebrity. So they can do So I can't model everything, but I can go look at that. Then I can go look at somebody like John Lee Dumas, who's done a great job of coming from anonymity to creating a rock star podcast. And I listen to how he does it. But then I go over and uh, listen to Jordan Harbinger, who, who's gotten to be a friend, uh, and listen to how he, he, how he is doing it. He's not a celebrity. The podcast is where he started. That's his bread and butter. And look at how he's doing that and how he's changing. And a lot of those guys are writing about the changes and why they're doing it. Tim Ferriss just recently did that, you know, huge. I mean, my, he's kind of like the, you know, the Oprah podcasting these days, as far as, you know, companies and anybody want, if he'll promote them and he can promote a book and sell it out on Amazon and they you know, they, they can't ship it for days. He's got so much power. And, um, 
you know, listen to these guys and uh, he's the, he was doing, so he's doing this. So he's ad based. He just recently took up the patron model, you know, that everybody's doing where he, he thought, okay, I'll do that. I'll cut the ads out, save people from having to listen to my ads. I'll go that. He did that huge buildup, huge announcement, huge shift. I can't remember the numbers. It lasted for a very short time. He got immediate, I'm not gonna say backlash, but negative stuff. And he switched right back. I mean, he is being the student of what his folks want. And so I'm paying attention of, you know, from the celebrities and then trying to hear from my own audience. I posted recently on Facebook, I asked about my three shows, my three formats, I'm sorry, my three formats of the Ziggo show, the interview, the conversation, the main message, the habit show, and then the Q and A and what do people listen to most? What do they like most? And they told me point blank, boom, boom, boom. And then I came back and said, cause the Q and A got the least amount of votes. And I said, well, gosh, maybe I shouldn't do that. And most of them came back and said, no, I think you still should, but maybe not as much. Maybe do a little bit more interviews, a few less of those. Listening to the audience so much of asking what they want to hear. So I am being a student of that. I listen to the reviews. I listen to the negative reviews. Uh, I had somebody complain about the number of ads recently. And most people said, dude, that's one person out of the past 100 five-star positive comments. And you're, but it, it's somebody, if somebody posted that, there's probably a few more people. And so I just went and looked at how can I be more respectful, authentic right. uh, of people's times. And I made a change on how I start that and got really good positive feedback on how I did that. that and so that's part of it is just listening, modeling and listening. So when it comes to, to monetizing uh, this specific podcast, you know, it's not going to happen right away, obviously, because it needs to build up and familiarity and trust. But when, when is it appropriate to, to, to start monetizing a business? Because that's essentially what I'm creating. Right now, I'm funding it with what I make from real estate, but I can't keep that long term. It needs to, to start producing at some point. We're still in the early stages, but what would your advice be for that? My dad... Dan Miller put out, and I wish I knew the search term. Maybe if you put in Dan Miller po monetizing podcasts or something, he did. I think it was a Venn diagram he created and talked about how he's doing it. Uh, and it was really interesting. And there are other, you can go look at mon you know, best ways to monetize and you can see content on that from the biggest and the best out. I bet John Lee Dumas, you know, we can, I mean, he probably talks about that and how he monetizes it. Number one way, I think it has been historically, it's probably, it might be changing somewhat right now because there are so many ad dollars coming over into podcasting. Historically though, the best way or the, the easiest way to monetize it, and you can do this with, with very small numbers is selling your own products and services. So, or events, product services, events, um, in there, that, uh, that historically has been the best way. I don't know this for sure. Uh, I think at one time it was, and it may still be that Michael Hyatt, who has a top, uh, he's always top 100 or so, I think in business, probably top six, 700 in podcasts overall. Um, can't remember the name of his show, but Michael Hyatt, he's got two shows, but it's the one he does by himself, which is a top one. I don't think that he has ads in it. I think he primarily does the show, gets his listeners and then promotes his own products and services. And he's got a lot, he's got, you know, books and online courses and he's got a membership community and he's making huge amount of money. I, I'm sure per person, per, um, uh, per listener, he's making a heck of a lot more than I am through doing that. Now I though, I don't have a book out yet. I got one in the works, you know, but right now I don't have a book. I don't have online courses. I don't have events that I'm doing. Now I do promote some of Ziegler's events like Ziegler Legacy Certification, ZLC. Um, I do promote some of that, but I don't have those things. I have, I do have enough listeners to warrant ads, but I know people with, you know, a thousand people who may be in a niche podcast, maybe they're promoting to, yeah, you know, real estate, they have a real estate podcast and they have an, and they can bring on a sponsor and advertiser for a certain amount of money, uh, even to a small audience like that. Now, if you're looking at overall advertising, if you want, you know, to, I, I'm doing ads right now for, uh, uh, Kindle unlimited, um, and they're, they're only advertising on podcasts that have X amount of downloads per episode in a certain amount of time even. 
so you've got, you know, you call that the mainstream advertising. So, so there's, there's niche advertising, there's affiliates. Uh, that's a big one too, where you're promoting people doing that. So what is the size? I don't, I think, I think if you're talking about mainstream ads, uh, where you've got an ad agency and, and yada, yada, I think 20,000 downloads it for an episode in about a four week period of time is kind of the entering point. It used to be, uh, maybe it's lower now. I really, I really don't know on that. But when people ask that question, you know, from the ad space, you've got to have some decent download numbers from the general ad agencies. But again, there's a lot of people over here with, you know, who are getting per episode, I don't know, you know, 10,000, 5,000. I think I heard somebody recently and talking about, yeah, man, I only get 2000, but I'm in a niche. I've got loyal listeners and I've got a couple sponsors uh, who are paying because it's worth it even for that amount. And they can put the numbers to it, uh, you know, as well. So it depends on what you're trying to promote. If you want enough listeners to get ads, uh, you know, the, the more, the better, but if you've got a niche offering, if you're doing affiliate advertising, or if you have your own products and services, and ultimately that is it. When I do come out with my book, man, half the book deal or, or more is based on the listeners I have and their, expectation in mind too of how many I can sell my book as well as that I know people like Evan he has a show he'll maybe he'll promote it I'll talk to you about that you know and somebody else will promote it and they're going to look at those numbers and I'll be selling my own product if I wanted to do my own event which I just don't want to do uh, but if I wanted to that would be the best offering that I could do probably far as far as dollar for dollar financial remuneration okay I'm going to end with three bullet point questions mm -hmm. so they can be rapid answers uh, if you want. And then, then I have my personal questions after, okay. after that. So Kevin, one of the biggest things that Ziegler talks about is our own self-talk. And what I've realized in my life is that I have my own lies in my head that I believe in. I asked this question to, to kind of humanize our guests a little bit. What is the biggest lie in your own self-talk that you currently have or struggle with? Uh, it's a fear that I don't care for people enough, that I don't truly care. Um, I just read a book by Brian Dixon and he talks about, it's called, uh, uh, I'm interviewing him today. I think it's called Pe uh, Your People Are First, something like that. And uh, he talks about realizing that he tends to put projects ahead of people and that at heart, he is not somebody who inherently authentically just, you know, loves people. Um, he struggles that. That is, that is me. Um, I tend to live in my own world naturally. I'm an introvert and I struggle with my feelings that come in that, that, that may not care enough about somebody, whether it's, you know, somebody who walks in my office or, or, or my kid and realizing, man, I, I don't care enough or I, I struggle with that. And yet over here, the testimony to my life from those people is about how much I care about them. So even though I struggle with uncaring thoughts, I live a life of care. So what am I really? It's a good question. And I think the reality is I am a caring person, but I struggle with over here. But that is still my inherent self-talk that I chew myself down with is that I don't authentically care enough about a pe about people. I don't naturally have compassion. And so that's one I am, I'm always trying to struggle with because I, I, believing what I'm thinking and believing that I'm not caring and, and degrading myself for that does nothing but bring me down. I need to look at it and go, Kevin, you do care about people. That's my self-talk. You do care about people. You got testimony yesterday from your kid or your wife or somebody that you cared and meant something that you are. I need to keep saying that and change that. And as I do that, I will become even better at caring. So man, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat as everybody else. What, what brings you peace? Uh, the faith that uh, I know that I am, I'm a good guy. I'm a, I have good intent. It's almost the opposite of what I just shared. <laughs> I, know, I know that I know that I know in my heart, I want to do well. I want to love people well. I truly do. It is a desire of my heart. Even as I battle my natural flesh and my natural appetites and my natural negatives and stuff, I, I know that I do. And I've, I have, I am always making efforts again to grasp onto that. I know even in my own temptations and my struggles and the things of being a human, um, I know that the heart, man, I really, I really do 
want to do well for people. I want to love. I need to rest in that more and to have peace and confidence and take a chill pill sometimes because I find myself when I'm not embracing that, I'm striving and struggling and stressing about it. And again, it's not helping me perform better. It's not helping the people that I'm, that I'm with. Okay. What's the best decision you've ever made? You know, that's the, that's like the hardest question ever. The best decision I'm ever, I, cause I feel like you're supposed to say I was marrying my wife. It was having a kid. It was, what is the best uh, decision I have ever made? You know what? Uh, can I give two? Sure. And they're not groundbreaking, monumental, save the world decisions. They're just two stark things that made a big difference in my life. In 2002, I had left, uh, I, I, I had left it before that, but I had, I had started up a business with a buddy and it was successful. It was like one of the best stories you could ever tell. Uh, we were selling it. I was young and it was going well. And I left it um, with no financial thought at all. Part of my own problems, no finance to go pursue a heart venture that had no financial uh, structure, no financial plan, whatever. I had done that and I was doing good as far as helping people, serving people, caring people, trying to prove I was all heart and yeah, yeah. We were, we were, we were helping people doing good thing. Um, I was so upside down financially and stressing my family life so much that it took, it brought my wife to saying, uh, Kevin, I love you. I believe in us, but I'm, I'm done. I can't keep doing this. And she was right to do it. And I stopped. I stopped everything. I gave everything up, not just in response to her, but I knew it too. It was, it was, I, I gave it up. It was so hard. I gave up a big organization, uh, a lot of people I was involved in, a lot of commitments I have. Um, and I didn't leave anybody, you know, high and dry financially. I, I left it with a ton of debt that took me years to pay off. I didn't declare bankruptcy or anything, but stopping that and, um, uh, man, kind of shelving my ego. And we moved away. We totally, we changed our life dramatically. I'm grateful I made that decision. I'm proud of myself for making that decision. As much as, much as I'm shameful for some of the things that I did, I'm not a no regrets guy. I'm not, you know, killing myself today because of it. But if I could go back, I made bad decisions. Good heart. Going back to your other question, I had good heart. I know my heart. I know my intent. I had some errant doctrine in it and some, and some lacking wisdom. But um, I was trying to be a good guy, did it badly, but I'm glad I made that decision. Um, and another one that comes right to mind is, gosh, how many, not that many years later, it was um, 2006, I think. And we were in a home, uh, not bad, it was up here in Colorado, it wasn't a bad place, but I just felt almost burdened to raise my kids. We had how many kids do we have at the time? Four and maybe a fifth coming on, but you know, growing family. And I wanted them living with land to, to, to grow on. I wanted them living with the outdoors and the forest. It was just, I, I'm not going to justify it. It sounds like a first world problem. Oh yeah. You just, you know what? I, I just felt called to, I really did. I'm not going to say it was a God calling and try to put it on there. It was, I mean, I wanted it for me. I want, it's what I felt called to. I'm not going to make excuses or try to justify it. I wanted that. I was not in a financial place to do that. And there's a story there, but uh, we bought land and we the bought land that we shouldn't have been able to afford, but it, it worked out. And we built a house. And it was right before the economy crashed. There's no way it should have been done. The people who lent me the money, I'm, it's hard not to say they were just outright stupid, but it did not matter. I mean, I'm going to just, but I'm going to, I'm going to say God, God made, God made a way for it. it happened. It shouldn't have. And we built this custom house, a big home on incredible land. And my kids have now grown up there. It didn't make sense in any way, shape or form. Nobody who knew me. I mean, there were some that had faith in me, but most were really concerned about doing that. It was nuts. I have no idea how we did it. We designed the house, did the general contracting. I literally did a truckload of labor and I had never done anything but build a set of shells uh, before that. It, it, was, it was asinine and miraculous. And I'm so grateful. Well, my, we, my kids, uh, it, the, 
the, what it's done for their life. And again, not that everybody needs to do that. You're, you know, somebody's dream may be, and I have some friends and theirs was to live in, you know, downtown uh, city of Dallas and and have their family be there to serve that community. And that was their dream. So this is just mine and and what, what was on my heart. So grateful that we did that. It was so ridiculous. And I'm so grateful. And that's where we are today. And the kids say we're never allowed to sell the place. Uh, those are two big decisions that really altered the course of my life, grew me uh, so much. And those are just, man, those are just tangible rubber hits the road, you know, circumstances and environment of life and having to, having to not make any excuses and do what you got to do. How can I add value to you? You just have. You just have, uh, nobody there's not speaking to me. There's nobody who doesn't like to talk about themselves, but I, uh, I bet if you look at people who have been like all these, you know, successful people that we know of, you know, there, oh, you know what, I'll, actually there are some who they know their message and they get on there and they pretty much just, you know, go through their message. But for the most part, people authentically come on and when they talk, uh, and they get asked questions with a little different flavor, a little different nuance, and they have to think about it. I love the candid, you know, can't just candidly uh, answering questions. And you learn so much about yourself, even just doing that. I've, I've mentioned a couple things during this show that I haven't conceptualized that I'll make notes on. It'll be the next step. It's, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the way to learn something, the best way is to teach it. And so when you talk about your stick, your message, whatever, you're learning it and you're hearing it through different eyes and you, the way that you've authentically not just asked a question, but you've asked it from a personal standpoint of where you are in your own journey is great. I, I, I endeavor to do that in my own shows, to ask it from my own personal standpoint, relevant um, to my life. And so you've done that today and you've brought me value just by letting me be here and talk with you. Man, I appreciate you coming on and everything that you and the Ziegler show have done for me. So man, thank you. Thank you for coming on today. My honor. Thank you, Evan, for doing what you're doing. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you would, I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing as well as rating and even leaving us an objective review. It helps us with our ratings and spreading the message of the Whole Person Podcast. And now, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Take care and God bless.